Our scripture text this morning comes to us from Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The word of the Lord. Once again, O oh God, we've gathered here to place our lives in front of your open word, asking that your spirit would also open our hearts to truly hear it, that we might be transformed by it. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. This morning I am continuing in a brief series of Lenten homilies focused on the temptations of Jesus Christ. Last week I indicated that it is significant that these temptations follow Jesus' baptism where he identified with all humanity. After that baptism, the heavens opened up the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and a voice was heard saying, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. It is striking that Jesus does not receive this designation of being the Beloved until he identifies with humanity. In an identification that is so total and complete, that we have to hear that we, that you, are the beloved of God. Immediately after this baptism, the Spirit then leads Jesus out into the wilderness where he is tempted as we are. Last week we looked at the temptation to be full. Today we come to the temptation to be certain. In this second temptation, the devil takes Jesus to Jerusalem and places him at the pinnacle of the temple. Then the devil says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, in other words, if you are so beloved, cast yourself down. And the devil then, who, by the way, knows scripture, quotes Psalm 91, saying, God will send his angels to bear you up so that you do not dash your foot against the stone. Can't you just imagine this scene? These two at the top of the temple, looking down over the Kindran Valley, 450 feet below. 
It helps if you think of them as junior high boys. <laughs> I dare you to jump. Are you afraid? You say that you're the beloved of God. Or do you believe that just because God says it? Seems to me that if you think it's true, you should be willing to prove it. All of these temptations depict fundamental temptations we as humans face. Again, Jesus has identified with our humanity here. And this is the temptation to believe that it is preferable to be certain about God's love than to believe it by faith. Few things are more dangerous to our spirituality than the pursuit of certainty. Because authentic spirituality can only flourish in the context of choices. Choices that are made when certainty is not possible. But this is true of all relationships. Love is always and only a choice. And certainty makes such a choice meaningless. We are bound together to each other in love only by faith. When you hear sermons that are portraying one of the fantastic miracles of Scripture, the parting of the Red Sea, Elijah calling fire down from the heavens, Jesus healing the sick, or feeding thousands of people with a handful of bread and fish. Does it ever occur to you to think, you know, I've never seen a bona fide miracle in my life? Or to pray, God, just give me one real miracle. Maybe write a few words on the wall. <laughs> Go to Princeton Seminary. Stay at Princeton Seminary. <laughs> Marry the short guy. God, if I just had one of those miracles, just one, then I, I would be certain and belief would be easy. The problem with such a prayer is that it would remove your doubts. And doubts are what make faith possible to emerge. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is constantly confronting people's doubts, and he never seems bothered by that. In Mark chapter 9, when the father of the boy who has a demon brings him to Jesus and asks him to cast the demon out, the father confesses to Jesus, I, I believe, help my unbelief. Who of us doesn't know that prayer? 
It's good enough for Jesus. He heals the boy. Near the end of John chapter 6, the people who've been following Jesus are leaving him because his words are hard. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, what about you? Will you also leave? Do you remember the disciples' response to that? They said, well, where would we go? (laughs) That's not exactly saying the Apostles' Creed. (laughs) It's kind of like, yeah, we got nothing else. (laughs) Where would we go? But that's good enough for Jesus because then the disciples chose to follow him. And at the end of this Gospel of Matthew, after the resurrection, after the resurrection, we're told that some of the disciples still doubted Jesus. Now, I would think if you were looking at the risen Jesus, fresh from the tomb, that'd take care of the doubt problems. But no, that's because we don't actually believe what we see. We see what we've chosen to believe. Even then, there's no rebuke for that doubt because even these doubting disciples then still chose to worship Jesus. In his Confessions, St. Augustine writes that faith emerges not by grappling with our emotional needs or by overcoming our intellectual questions, both of which he had done and still faith had not been found. In the end, he said, faith emerges as an act of the will, a choice to believe. And our doubts are what make that choice possible, to choose to believe, to choose to have faith. Certainty pushes faith aside. And again, we're only bound together in love by faith. Have you ever tried to prove to someone that you love them? It is exhausting. It's also impossible. So Jesus responds to the devil's temptation by quoting a little scripture of his own. He says, as it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6.16. The full passage would be, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Massah was that spot on the wilderness sojourn after the Exodus where the Hebrews had run out of water and were afraid that they were going to die of thirst. It's striking at that moment that no one said, well, yeah, our canteens are dry, but after that miraculous event at the parting of the Red Sea, I can't wait to see what God does now. No. Nobody said that. The miracles of the past do little to nurture faith for the crisis of the day. 
It's ironic that while Jesus is so tolerant of our doubts, he is so intolerant of our fears. You would think it would be the other way around. But remember Jesus' parable of the Remember Jesus' parable of the steward who was afraid he would lose his talent, so he buried it in a hole? Jesus said to take that frightened servant and cast him into outer darkness, gnashing of teeth. It's one of his harshest judgments. And when the disciples were caught in a storm at sea and were afraid that their ship was going to sink, Jesus gets up, and according to Matthew, first he rebukes them for their fear, and then he gets around to calming the sea. And when Peter is is trying to walk on water towards Jesus and then becomes afraid that he can't walk on water, because he can't, and he starts to sink, Jesus pulls him up out of the water and there on the waves, again, rebukes him for being afraid. It's really not until we get to 1 John 4.18 that we discover why the scriptures are so hard on our fears. There we're told, perfect love does what? It casts out fear. So apparently, our level of fear is also the measure of how much of God's perfect love we have received. After all my many years of pastoral ministry, I have never argued someone out of being afraid. I can't even argue myself out of being afraid. Only love can cast out fear. Every kid understands this. When the child wakes up in the middle of the night screaming out of fear that there are monsters under the bed, what parent would go to the door, stand there, and say, now we've discussed this, this is completely irrational. (laughs) I want to make you certain that there's no thing as monsters. I don't want you to be afraid. No, the parent doesn't do that. The parent rushes into the room, envelops the child, and the child is no longer thinking about the monsters. The child is now thinking about those loving arms. Love cast out fear. Same thing is true for us as adults when we too are up all night tormented by our monstrous anxieties. Only perfect love can cast out your fear. And faith is the only way to receive that love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.